I got I got something going on up here. I can't quite figure it out. Let's we'll just we'll just go with it. I tried to get a haircut in, um, uh, but I can't get one done before Tuesday for some reason. So it's it's just it's out of control. So. Right. I keep having interesting experiences with Turkish barbers at the moment. So um, I keep feeling I'm thinking I found a regular barber shop in my local town, but no. They like they like the flame and they start doing the crazy stuff with you know. Oh, you don't like? Well, I don't mind if I get some warning, but you know when there's something on fire and it's like, what, what's going on here? Hey, we've, we've yeah, for it's a guy thing, but it's for burning basically the hair that grows out of our ears the older and crustier we get. Yeah. Um, really. <laughs> but, I don't do this. Yeah. So I'm totally used to the. I think it's also levels because I'm used to the flame now. Um, and we've got a Turkish baba. We're a very little village where I live, and we've got a Turkish baba. And uh, I've had the flame thing before, so they they kind of indicated that they were going to do that, and I nodded. And the next thing they were putting wax up my nose, um, and it was in before I'd realised. I was like, oh, uh, um, yeah, that was a whole. Wow. At, at that point. Burning the hair in my ears seems like a step down. Like, yeah, flame, fine. This is this is new stuff to me. I, I don't I don't know about this. Now, what did I what did I what did I tell you? I said Steve, the storyteller. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's absolutely yeah. why. What did you want? Maybe that's the cold open right there. Yeah. Was, I was going to say, does Steve know about the cold open? Because <laughs> they came in with the whole, you know, we do the flame thing, and I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. But what they meant is, we do the flame thing, we do the wax up your nose thing. And we're gonna we're gonna shave your eyebrows. It's like uh, <laughs> I wish I, I I wish I'd been a little bit more less willing to to engage in this whole process. Oh, that's fascinating. Do they draw them back on or, or something? <laughs> no, or? they just rub <laughs> clippers across them. That's fantastic. So, so the, the, the flame thing's bad enough with your ears because it smells, but I can can only imagine burning the nose hairs must make no no no. It's not burning it. It's not burning it. They, I can't believe we're talking about this. Um, they put like a, a a liquid wax up your nose. It hardens. Oh. Oh yeah. So I'd I'd rather they took a flame through it to my nose. Quite frankly. Awesome. Oh, brilliant. Well, oh, anyway. this is warmed up anyway. Wow. Um, okay. So, um, what were we talking about today? Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I'm Chris Lockhart, um, joined today by Oliver Cronk, Wendy Keene, and special guest Steve Forshu-Kane, who is the CEO at Scott Logic. And um, we want to talk uh, today, you know, there's there's been a lot going on um, with uncertainty in the economy, and there's been some layoffs, and there's been uh, various stories that you hear people talk about of maybe how they were laid off by a 
bot or, you know, they go to log into their email in the morning and, oh, they can't log in. And, we, you know, it really was this question about, you know, what, what is the right way, right, to um, sort of balance between, you know, the needs of a business to restructure and reorganize, but also the respect of the, the employees, which, by the way, is, is not just in the interest, you know, of the employee, but you want to retain these people and foster a nice environment and, and have a good culture. And so I think there's this interesting um, dilemma, right? Or there's, there's some spectrum on which uh, you would want to see many companies fall. And so, Oliver, I know we've talked about this um, a couple of times. Did you want to give us a little more insight into, into what you're thinking and, and then yeah. in, maybe introduce Steve? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the, the reason I, I invited Steve on, and sort of Steve touched on this before we hit the record button, was some of the conversations I had during the sort of recruitment process and interview process going into Scott Logic. So, I was pretty apprehensive, as regular listeners to this podcast will know. I had some interesting big four consulting experiences, uh, and I'd worked in a niche or consultancy before that. And the the world of consulting can be a tough gig, as we've talk, talked about time and time again. And I think what had happened for me is I ended up kind of creating two you know sides of myself. I had a home self and I had a work self, and it all got very stressful when these two realities didn't combine <laughs> terribly nicely. Family life and work life weren't working very well alongside each other. And so this this whole topic speaks you know, to, to me personally, but also speaks to us as a business at Scott Logic. And so I thought, who better really than to talk talk, talk about this than Steve, who lives and breathes the, you know, what we do. He, he, uh, people are called out when they're perhaps you know, working excessively or or, or aren't playing, you know, nicely a, a, along the kind of um, culture that we we endeavour to kind of create at the firm. So, I, I, I wanted to talk about this because I think, you know, whilst nowhere is perfect, Scott Logic, of course, it, it isn't perfect. It for me is is an amazing balance of the kind of commercial aspects of being a consultancy with really looking after people and community. And so that's really why. Uh, and I know Steve talks about this far more eloquently than I do. So I wanted to get Steve involved in, in this, in this discussion. So yes, Steve, the conversations we had were just really, really interesting. And, um, and I know you, you know, your story as well, your consulting story is really interesting. So I wonder if we should start there. Your kind of, your sort of prior to Scott Logic consulting story. Sure. Sure. I mean, I find myself in the weird position these days. Um, cause I, I normally would introduce, what do you do? I normally introduce myself. I'm a career consultant. Um, I've been working in technology consultancy for uh, the best part of nearly three decades. Um, and so I would often introduce myself, you know, I'm a career consultant. I'm not a consultant anymore. I'm now the CEO of a consulting company. So I have to navigate the divide between what I know to be the desirable experience uh, and a productive experience of being a consultant in a consulting business with being the custodian of the organization that brings uh, hundreds of people together to create the special thing that we have in, in Scott Logic. And so I often have to think about, you know, the unit of one, the individual that I might be coaching or giving feedback to, and the and, and the many hundreds, the, the organization, what happens when we are collective. And so, it's, you know, and, and it's, it's not easy, there are no rules. It's a constant challenge of understanding um, that spectrum, I think. Um, you know, I've worked in big consultants. I've worked for, I think, some of the same organizations that you worked for. Um, I've worked for small organizations, and I've seen the good and the bad of both ends of the spectrum and probably everything in between. Um, but, you know, I'm very lucky as, as somebody who can relate to the experience of being a consultant who now finds himself in 
quite frankly, the luckiest position in the world, which is, you know, running the best technology consultancy in the world, um, to, to kind of see to, to see the interplay between those two things. Um, and, you, you know, even preparing for, for this podcast, it, I, I was kind of put in a bit of a spin of retrospection um, because I had the joy this week of introducing our latest cohort of grads, people who have no concept uh, necessarily a, a consultancy beyond what they've experienced through the process of coming here. Um, so nothing to to judge against or pros or cons, just like, oh, this is this is what I'm being told the experience of consultancy is. This is what I'm being told how Scott Logic will look after me uh, from a number of, of dimensions and how it balances both the commitments that we make to our clients, why we're in business is to help those people do the things, the very difficult things that they need to do with their business. Um, what we need to do to look after Scott Logic, this this collective that comes together, that allows us to do this thing, and then what we have to do in terms of the impact we want to have beyond our own walls, climate, society, the communities that that, that we are a part of, that sustain us, as well as what we want to do for the individuals. Um, and so, you know, I my journey to Scott Logic. Uh, you know, I was very happily employed elsewhere when when someone called me and said, would you be interested about this other thing? Um, and I think the interesting part of that process was for me, you know, 25 years into this career, I had the question, why? Why would I want to do that? What What is special or unique about this thing? Um, and, you know, I know we, we talked a little bit about it, Oliver, that, you know, I, I, I find it... You know, the the more I've done, uh, the, the more I've been fortunate enough to experience, the more I want to understand the why behind an organization as much as the what, um, because I think the why has become increasingly important to me and the successful businesses that I look to, that I respect, that I admire, have why front and center um, uh, as the anchor for the what they actually do. But we um, should we should we should point out you are Oliver's boss, so he's only yeah, going to well, say very nice things about about Scott Logic. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, that's not the Oliver I know. <laughs> he tells me what I'm doing. Actually, that's a really good point. Actually, so one of the things, and I talk about, I went into a loop of retrospection about you know what's important to me, some of the sure. questions we talked about. One of the ones that that kind of came up was um, you know this this concept of feedback that, that uh, I fundamentally believe in a whole bunch of stuff around transparency, about creating context for people to make good choices about their contribution, how they best and maximize the potential they have. And, you know, this, this um, the, the one, one of the new grads said to me, what's the most important thing you want me to know about Scott Logic? Um, and, you know, your brain goes into spinning Rolodex mode, like, all right, there's 110 things you need to know. Um, and I came back to the one thing, which I taught, I definitely know I talked to Ola about this when, when, when he was considering whether or not he should or shouldn't join us, was that I fundamentally want an organization where everybody feels that they have the right to a voice. That if they believe they see something that could be better, if they see something that was good and they would like to see more of it or to see that thing happen again, they have the absolute right in the business to go, hey, can I tell you this thing? And that's not true for a lot of, I certainly didn't feel that. I was, I was encouraged to, uh, 
used my, the critical thinking that I was required to use on my clients, I did not feel that I was always encouraged to use that same critical thinking for the improvement of my own organization. And even if I did, was it safe for me to, to speak up? So we, we often talk at Scott Logic that every employee has the right to, to share their opinion. Um, and there's this other part of it, though, that I think is, is equally important, which is not only do they have the right because they're a part of us, and because my hope is that they are generally committed to us, that right to a voice comes with a responsibility to use it. If you see a thing that could be better, if you see somebody do something profoundly impressive and you want to see, you have the right to say something and you have the responsibility to do so um, without judgment and without fear. And Steve, I think that's crucial to kind of like the inclusivity thing, which I have to say, out of all the places I've worked, and I've worked quite a few in my 20-ish sort of, I've done quite a few stints at different places. It's the most inclusive environment I've ever worked in, which was surprising because at consultancy, you expect to be quite cut, cutthroat, very commercially focused. And the, the way that we, the, you know, the kind of reality of the inclusivity in terms of giving people a voice is really interesting to see. So I, I see people who in other organizations would perhaps be, very quiet, trying not to be trying not to be noticed. Actually, they're very vocal and they are able to be themselves. They're able to bring the whole self to work, which is which is amazing. And I think it requires perhaps a, a bit of a corporate adjustment because perhaps some people are used to certain ways of behaving in a corporate environment. But actually, when you kind of see that people are, are, are more happy when they bring themselves to work and they're more productive, and there's a whole load of other benefits that kind of come off the back of it. But I have to say, it's a credit to kind of. To, to you and, and the wider sort of Scott Logic business that, that, that has that sort of inclusivity thing. Because I think that's the key for me that when you talk about voices being heard, it's ensuring the ones that perhaps normally perhaps would be quiet in a professional environment because they're afraid of, of, of what people might think of what they're going to say. Well, let's let's talk about that, right? Because and yeah. Wendy, Wendy, we haven't heard from you yet. And I think this is the longest we've gone without, without speaking. But, you know, you know, is there is there a balance though, right? Because it's a company; it's not a summer camp, right? It's not you know. It, we all talk about the there are no hierarchies. There's a hierarchy at a certain point, right? Someone has to set direction. It's not you know, it's uh, it's not a commune, right, or something, right? Where everything is is up. For, where's the right balance? And Wendy, maybe maybe this is something because I know you you're you're your own CEO, right? You have, you have been a consultant. You run a company, you have people working for you. What, what's the right balance there between, you know, the, the structure and the, you know, everyone has an equal voice and, and all, all of that bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, from my perspective, I sort of feel like there's, um, there's this new covenant, right? This, what I'll say is the covenant of respect and value exchange. So sort of the way I run my business is very much in an ecosystem. So trying to, to, to put people together, fully leveraging, you know, the flexibilities they want, the skills they want, the purpose they want to be part of, and just sort of honoring that sort of coming and going of what's best for people in their professional lives while still everybody respecting the mission that we're trying to achieve. Um, and that goes both sides. That goes both on the people that work for me and, you know, the and, and them, you know, making sure that they continue to deliver on what we need in the continuity. So it's it's really to me about the covenant of, of like I said, respect and, and mutual value delivery. Um, and I also love, as I'm, I'm hearing Stephen Oliver talk here, I really feel like I'm, I'm listening to 
strong modern leadership where you have this culture and values coming from the top, clearly rippling all the way down into reality. And you're balancing these, these, you know, the three things I'm going to say you, you said, Steve, of you know, how do we deliver to the client? How do we take care of people down to those individuals and the families behind it? And then also, how do we show up in our, our broader community? So, Chris, indeed, there's there's certainly a balance for that. But I think if we all just honor the mission and honor each other um, and really think about the human behind it. I yeah, so yeah. I, I love that, like this idea of a new covenant. And, and Steve, I wonder if you could for a second. You, you've got something like this, right? Um, can you tell us a little bit about the people promise and and, and how that you know influences how how people bring themselves to to Scott Logic and how they show up and, and how they come to to play and to sure. work. Sure. Yeah. So we call it the People Promise. Uh, I can take no credit for it. It pre-existed um, before I arrived at the company. I mean, it was the total endorsement of. Uh, I, and actually, I, I don't think you know it came up in the first couple of conversations I had before I joined Scott Logic. Um, but then when somebody revealed it and because it all yeah, and we have this thing we call it the People Promises. Here it is. It suddenly made every conversation line up behind that and said, and, and you really do this? Yeah. And we we check with our people. We ask them, are we maintaining, you know, our, our kind of part of the bargain? And so what what the intention behind the people promise was to say that consultancy is hard. You know, it, it is difficult. You were going into other people's environments. You are. Um, uh, potentially bringing new perspectives that challenge orthodoxy and you're required to not just be technically competent at, at, at the role that you have, as in, you know, to be an engineer or a project manager or a designer, but you also have to come with this other set of skills that allow you to influence um, and to give feedback um, that is intended to be helpful, but sometimes not as always well. It, 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 is, it can be a difficult job to do. And, so one of the things we set out to do, and I'm using the bigger we because I wasn't a part of constructing it, but I'm certainly part of living it, is, is create an agreement between the organization, a consultancy, uh, and a bridge to, uh, you know, to the consultant to have a mutual agreement about what it is okay to expect from one another. And so the sorts of things that, that are kind of called out in, in the people promise, um, and they are things I've experienced other organizations in team level, but nothing that's been elevated to, we're gonna make this, you know, this is organizational, this is measurable. Actually, we're gonna hold our leaders to account to how well they do it in upholding this promise. It covers things like we're not gonna prioritize, um, uh, you know, our delivery to our clients over the well-being of our people. Um, that those two things have to be priorities that are balanced uh, and are managed in, in, you know, in, in equilibrium. Um, it is important to a company like ours where we want to attract, retain, and grow some of the, you know, the most capable, talented, crazy at times, um, but also lovely technology consultants that, that are available to us in the markets we operate in. Um, and it is important to them that they are able to explore technology in a way that best suits the needs of their clients. So whilst we will pursue commercial alliances with other technology providers or service providers, we will not allow that to, to influence or, or degrade our independence of bringing good quality solutions to our clients. Um, the other one you know, that, that gets played back to me a lot and, and I talk about a lot, which is around this concept of uh, uh, you know, 
well, we've all been there as consultants. The deadline's approaching. Um, you're, you know, we're, we're going to throw it all in, and over time becomes just assumed. Or in my case, I, I've, I've definitely been involved in, in, you know, the death march project where the unrealistic deadline, the yeah. immovable scope, the yeah. the, the all night work, budget, yeah. the all, yeah. off you go. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, one of the things we put in is we will not expect our people to work overtime. Um, full stop. Now, when, sorry, sorry. When, Wendy's reaction here is like yeah. mine was when I first yeah. heard it, right? And so then I, throughout the rest of my recruitment process, I was sort of, sort of, you know, tell me a bit about how that really worked. Because, of course, lots of people like to say these things, right? And then the reality is then somewhat different. But I, this was, I have to say, that it wasn't the only thing, but it was one of the big things that made me realize that Scott Logic was different. I mean, it was, it's a smaller organization. We're about 470 people, which I think helps as well, because you're able to kind of maintain a culture easier in a smaller organization. But this thing about not expecting our people to work overtime, of course, I, I do work overtime, but I do it because I choose to do it. I don't do it because someone is saying, right, this thing that we promised a client needs to be done. It's, it's just a completely different shift in mentality that we want our people to work overtime because they're passionate about things. Uh, or oh, sorry, we, you know, that's okay if they want to do that. We're not doing it because someone didn't plan effectively in the first place. Right. And I think that's the important one. One, which I think it, it, it covers a failure symptom, right? That says somebody somewhere did not think about the, 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 the effort that's required to realize the outcome that's under here. Um, and by moving that to the individual, an expectation of the individual will make up the difference through overtime, um, hides the problem that actually the organization needs to address, which is how did we arrive in the position that actually additional effort um, is required and not just additional effort, additional effort that impacts that person's life away from here. Because that, I mean, that's essentially the tacit deal. You are going to give something up of yourself for the benefit of the organization due to um, a, a, a lack of understanding of what truly was needed. Um, and so, you know, I think what this does is, you know, that software, custom software solutions are creating something from nothing. There is risk involved. There will be uncertainty, ambiguity, and volatility that will affect that endeavor that you cannot plan for and anticipate for. What we've committed to do is, um, be, first of all, just be better at understanding that volatility and manage for it, plan for it, expect it, and make sure that the burden of when it occurs is not transferred to the individual and their home life. That's why it's there. Um, and I think we do quite a good job of it. In fact, I, did, I think we do an excellent job at, at, at maintaining that. And our people tell us that as well. So how, you know, so I mean, that's that's interesting, right? Because there's always, there is this thing about, Yes, that's what we say. But by God, this thing has to go out, or now we've got a problem. So, how you know? How does that? Maybe it's a return to the balance question, right? Is what is the what is the commercial drive? How does that get accommodated? Because we're in business to be in business to make money to whatever whatever the driving principle of, of the business is, you know. Um, and not to be too blunt about it, but we're not here to make everyone feel good about themselves, right? Kind of thing. So, no, no, but but if, but if you think sure. about it, the commercial driver here, and I was thinking about this when I was sort of processing this one about how does this actually work. The commercial driver for me, and I need to be a little bit careful because, of course, we don't we're we're not about just exploiting uh, client budgets. But the point of this one for me, from a commercial perspective, is that if we're doing overtime, is that necessarily being reflected in the charges to the client? Right. Possibly not, right? And so, actually, that, that to Steve's point. 
the the burden is placed on the individual to make up that 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 delta. But actually, it's not in the it's not in the consultancy's interest to give up their people's time mm -hmm. for free. Right. Now, now the, of course, this is this gets a little bit nuanced and difficult because it depends who's managing the the, the piece of work, the engagement. It could be the client mm -hmm. sort of bad planning. It could be our delivery manager's bad planning that results in someone being sort of asked to do it overtime in in, in, in a situation where we don't have this promise. Um, but for me, if you, of course, and of course, it depends if you're doing outcome-based delivery and charge models. And there's, there's obviously the charge charge model sort of aspects of this as well. But for me, if, if you are kind of doing a t standard time and materials type engagement, it does not make sense commercially to have people do work for free because it's not it's not you know there's no commercial benefit from that. Yeah, and I think that's the difference between putting an extra few couple of hours in because you realise that there's a crunch moment coming up. And finding yourself in a team environment for which an extra couple of hours is every day for the next three months yeah. there's a fundamental difference there and we so i i captured in it's not that we might not have surges that are needed um but those are signposted those are managed um those are an expectation but that the pace is sustainable that there is a, a long-term debt being created which is the transfer of that person's personal time um to the organization so, and i think to, to oliver's point um you know we're pretty upfront about this um this people promise with our clients um and rather than being a barrier to working with us that, that's great that you do that mm. and you know I'm, I'm pretty direct with with you know some of the senior decision makers in our clients i mean increasingly in the public sector they are looking for this sort of care of yeah. our people but certainly with the more shall we say commercially driven private sector clients i'm very clear up front about why i do this and why i do this is fundamentally does have a, a commercial reason which is i've got good people i don't want to lose them and you don't want me to lose them because if i lose them you don't have access to them and these are the people who are going to care for your business help you meet the challenges you've set out for yourself um, and bring a level of expertise that that you need to to actually be achieving your goals yeah. and this helps me make sure i can i can sign up to the commitments that's got logical make to you as my customer because you support our ability to manage our business in this way yeah and i think you know there's you know i think this gets into the retention piece right as as we talked but you know the, the i think there's a number of studies that show right that um in environments where people feel like they are respected in the way that you're describing right they're willing to do the things that in other companies they're being forced to do, right? Kind of thing, right? Now they're willing to all respect. I'm willing to work an extra 20 hours this week because I believe in in the company and I feel respected and I feel heard and and all all of that stuff. And so I think that is really important. So let's let's focus on that retention bit for a second. What are so the people promise that that makes sense? What are some other ways? And Wendy, uh, maybe maybe you have a thought here too. Like, what are some other ways? to really focus on that retention, right? Because we all know it's more expensive to go out and find a new employee than it is to try to keep the employees you have, right? So how do we how do we keep people from leaving? Yeah, indeed, maybe I'll, I'll share a few thoughts. Um, <clears throat> one, I think, I mean, clearly we've, we've learned from the pandemic is, is a flexibility and a working with people's life. But, you know, I think I've come to the realization, you know, there's, there's obviously no one size fits all. So giving people the benefits and the flexibility that work with their life yet, you know, deliver and honor our commitments and our culture. Um, I also think, you know, a big part of it is 
purposeful work and interesting things that we like doing, right? That's a big part of what keeps people in in a certain place, right? We're growing, we love it. Um, And then I think there's just very much the human side that we always have to think about. So, um, you know, building relationships with people on the team, feeling like you're part of it, feeling like you're connected to the bigger picture and, and really hooked in. I think that's another big one as well. Is there a generational aspect to this? Is in other words, are there new expectations for things like the, the covenant or the, the people promise, those types of things? Are they coming out of college thinking that's the norm, right? And, you know, then they, they go to, I don't know, who should we pick on? Let's not pick on Deloitte today. Let's, they, then they go to PwC and that's not how it is, right? And now they're disillusioned and, you know, bitter or angry or whatever it might be. Is there a generational part of this that uh, we we need to begin to take into account? I mean, for Steve, anybody. I'll, 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 I'll hand to you in a second, but I, I think particularly in technology, it's, you know, it's a, uh, notwithstanding the current blip we're seeing in, in sort of the hiring sort of uh, hiring and sort of hiring cycle that's going on at the moment, it's very difficult to hire, you know, good Technologists that are also kind of well-rounded consultants and good communicators and all that, or, or, or you know, that tick that tick more than just the sort of good technologist box. And so I think I think that the part of people that we're looking to attract are highly emotionally intelligent, and therefore they look for these sorts of things in an employer. I think, and it's it's no longer sort of good enough. I think to have a prestigious brand. I think you, know, you mentioned some of those big four names just then. I think in the past that would have been enough, right? That you would just go to one of those because that was a great place to start your career or spend your whole career after graduating. And I think now, um, yeah, I think people are becoming more demanding because they can be, because there are, the tech industry has shown there are other ways of working. There are potential other kind of benefits in addition to pay. There are flexibilities about where you work, you know, amount of holiday you can take, you know, where you, yeah, all, all, all these sort of things are now, uh, I guess, entering into the sort of employee expectation. I think the, for, for a tech consultancy, it's challenging because you're not just competing against other consultancies, you're competing against the sort of tech industry at large and, and other technology roles. So th- for me, I think uh, you know, people are getting savvier about w- what they can ask for. They're perhaps getting a bit more demanding, but then I think it's a, it's a quid pro quo, right? If you're asking certain things, then you, you, you need to be kind of committing and, 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 and delivering on the other side. But I, I personally think that's why this is this this was changing, and I see it from... So my younger friends, I see them sort of expecting a different sort of contract, as it were, or, or, or commitment from their employer. But Steve, I don't know what your sort of perception is of this one. Well, I don't, I don't think there's like a step change that happens with with, with every culture. I, sorry, every generation. But I definitely feel like there's a wave. And you know, my my first consulting gig was, "There's your ticket. Wave goodbye on a Monday morning." You'll be staying in a hotel in some godforsaken industrial park somewhere, and you'll be back late on a Friday night. Um, and I never, I never thought twice about. It. I was working with yeah. the brand. I was getting good development opportunities. Um, it was exciting, right? It was ex- yeah. oh, exciting. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Standard class on a train in the United Kingdom. So yeah. exciting. Um, and so let's not get going about trains, Steve. That's a whole that's a whole sorry, other topic. That's a topic that we've um, had to stop talking about. <laughs> and so and, and I never never thought to question it. And also, you know, the idea that um, you know the technology that I was using 
I was just being glad to be given a laptop, yeah. um, you know, uh, possibly an abacus when I started, but you know what I mean. And, you know, so I do think expectations have changed. I do think the more, um, uh, I guess the more experience I had, the more I wanted to move with these new expectations as well. At least I wanted to understand them. I mean, I, the nature of my job is I still travel around the UK and I love it I, because it puts me in, in contact with our clients and our people. And I get a lot from that. I also understand I don't have kids at home. Um, you know, I, I don't have a dog. Um, you know, so the things that 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 might otherwise be a priority for me, or, or sorry, might otherwise be a priority for other people, are not necessarily a priority for me. But I also recognize, you know, I've got a young nephew, and he is now working for one of the big four, which we've had words about. Um, bless him. Um, but you know, I remember. Uh, you know, his expectations of coming out of university were exactly like you were talking, Chris. Uh, you know, I'll I'll work when I want, where I want. I'll get to pick which technologies. There's a foosball table, technology. right? There's yeah, or, you know, or beanbags was his big coffee. thing. I can, yeah. you know, kind of lean back and and, yeah. and he's landed in one of the big four, and that that is not the experience. Right. And in fact, he's he's out in Australia, which is where I'm from. But you know, there is a coming down the line. You are expected to be. You will be in the office four days a week. What's missing for him, I had the conversation about, well, you know, if you came together as a team and came up with a proposition about how you did do the team working together, but also were able then to disperse um, on the more independent work, you know, he said, nobody wants to hear that. And so you're back to a voice, you're back to a responsibility to use it, you're back to a, a leadership that's willing and, and interested in hearing from the worker, the person doing the work and rather than the manager or, or, or the director of the manager and kind of thing. Um, so I do think there are changing expectations and I think successful businesses are those that are kind of tapping in and saying, well, how do we align things? Um, you know, I, I know for some of the businesses I used to work in, it would not be acceptable to be fully remote 100% of the time and never visit a client. Personally, I would never want to work like that, but I do understand others might. But there would need to be a conversation about how do we actually do what we're here to do and to the degree that we can accommodate individual and personal need, how do we bring those two things together? And I think if the organization is not set up to have a conversation of that, that is going to end up with pissed off people, high levels of attrition, um, you know, I think long-term systemic damage to, to both brand and to, to, to business. No, I think that's a really good point about um, angry, pissed off people. I think, you know, let, we, we'll excuse the big four for a second. Let's talk about MBB for a second, right? And McKinsey, Bean, and BCG. And I think in those environments, right, the, the pressure is on. The expectations are extremely high, higher than I think you would say for big four consultancies. Mm -hmm. And there, I think, yep, people... Um, speaking on behalf of people I know that work in these companies, but I think, I think the feeling is, you know, there's, there's a prestige element to it as well, right? At, at some of these places where, yes, I, 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 I don't have the covenant that we've discussed, but it's made up for by I can fly business class or whatever it might be. Right. And, you know, those sorts of things, the, the, those prestige, those ego things that I feel better because of that. Well, I think this potentially comes at a very high cost. And it does. I, 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 I think so. Difficult thing. Divorce rates, about. by the way, I think are very right. high, right? Yeah. But you know, uh, let, let's let's get real for a moment. Like some some people, it all gets too much for them in these high pressure environments, and you, it's not talked about very widely because it's a taboo thing to talk about. 
suicide is a thing in these mm-hmm. high pressure environments. Yeah, uh, you know, of course, mental health is, but sure. ultimately that can lead some individuals to, to, to mm-hmm. taking their own life because the pressure is just so much. So it, this thing is, yes, there is the potential for glory and great success and, uh, and, and, you know, money and all this sort of stuff, but it, it comes at a price potentially. And I, and I have to say, this is why coming back to the beginning of when we started recording this, this one, um, you know, that, that's why I, ca- I came back into consulting with my eyes open. Cause I, I got, I wasn't going to kill myself, but I, but I was, I was broken mentally, you know, right. uh, it was a couple of weeks of my life that, that were, were not great mm-hmm. at all. And, you know, my wife had to have a serious conversation with me about my sort of career choices. And so, um, you know, this, this stuff, uh, when it goes off the rails, it can really, you know, it can really go off the rails for people. So I think it's, it's the kind of psychological safety thing and the sort of transparency around, yeah, how, how are you doing? And that, and that not to be in the very British, British polite way of saying, how are you doing? But actually, let's have a nice conversation about, is this working for you? Is this engagement too much? What support do you need? It's yeah. having that sort of level of culture for me that is super, super important. Because otherwise, if people just put a brave face on and just go, yeah, it's all good and don't really say what's going on and don't have that psychological safety there, that's when I think things you know, that's when the, the darker side of that potentially very prestigious organization right. starts to rear its ugly head. Right. Or, or they cover it up with, you know, I'm really engaged with, you know, the valuable work we're doing and, and this and that and the other. And look at, look at this, is, you know, I'm really passionate about this. And, and meanwhile, their life is falling apart. Right. You know, and it's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I think that borders on the mental health stuff. I know we've talked a lot about that, but yeah. you, there was a word that you used there, which I think you know, is, is on topic here, which is transparency, right? Which is how, you know, where does that play in? Because do you really want, does every business really want their employees to be a hundred percent transparent about everything? Right. You know, about like at the, at the town hall meeting, I think I, I told the story about a town hall meeting I was in a number of years ago and they were like, ask any questions. And I'm like, you know, and I, I asked, I was, I was that guy asking that question that made everyone cringe. Like, Oh my God, he's really asking that out loud. Right. So there's a, there's respectable transparency. Right. Um, and there's not. Um, but even within the respectable transparency, I think there's there's a question of how much of that do you really want? Do you really need in order to maintain this covenant that we're talking about um, to respect the, you know, the individual voices of, of the firm? I don't I don't know where that boundary is. Maybe maybe it's different by company, by context. I, I don't know. Well, I, I do remember, again, one of my first consulting uh, you know, uh, uh, in consulting employers used to have a monthly meeting where they went through all the numbers. And I remember sitting there and it was, I think month one, I've just joined so excited. The numbers were dreadful. Mm. And I was kind of seeing there going, do I have a job on Monday? It's like, why are you telling me this? What, what can I do? So I do think there is, there is something to be considered the difference between data and information and context. I want to be very clear with my organization, the context in which decisions are being made or, you know, things that are coming down the line, how they might impact. I think it's very important that context is set. That's rooted in mission and purpose for me. Um, uh, But there's a certain amount of information that I want to be able to share with people where I believe if they understand the context, it gives them the ability to make good decisions. They understand how they can contribute. I think there's a, you know, there's sometimes a desire, and I've seen this in some organizations, to show me everything um, because I'm interested. And there's a degree to, to what is that useful? Right? At the context level, I can say, well, this is the framework about how decisions will be made. The minutiae of detail that can only can only be something you have to spend time consuming. 
Um, so I think there is also that particular risk where you kind of go, well, share everything and then people go, oh, I'm going to spend a day tomorrow just reading everything that Stephen sent out. Um, and so I think there's that as well. So I do think about use, like to what purpose will this information be useful to the person I'm sharing it with? Um, to what, you know, to, to what end will this help them make better decisions in their day-to-day -day work? And how does it better inform uh, their understanding of the work that they do and its connection to why the, the why the business exists and what we're setting out to do. Um, but I do think it's different in every business. And I've certainly, I've been in that spot where you kind of go, hey, I've got a question and everyone else is like, dude, shut up. Yeah, I, well, it, it led to, you know, basically people not trusting me, my peers, not not the executives, the mm -hmm. peers. Don't tell Lockhart that. He's going to go out there and, yeah, and ask you. I want to touch on this because you said, you know, the context matters, right? Does, does the culture or the country matter? Wendy, you're in Norway. Is it, is mm. it different there? How does, how does transparency, like, there are some cultures, it's very, you know, conservative or, or that's not the right word, very traditional and the boss knows the info and the employees do the thing, right? Is it cultural? Is it, Different, like, is it, I imagine it's different in Europe than it is in the U.S. when it comes to this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, having grown up in, in the U.S. and now living in Norway, I'm, I'm utterly fascinated all the time about all these things. Transparency, um, I love that you asked about that one specifically because there's so much transparency here. It's expected, it's cultural, it's like, that's who we are. For example, um, we can go see everybody's salary um, and have the transparency of knowing who's looking at it, right? So, um, so it's it's very transparent. Even just how we do financial transactions and things like that, it's it's actually very slick and impressive and transparent at all levels. Um, but I also think about things like the respect and employee expectations too. You know, there are in contracts in Norway, like you're going to, you have a three month period of, you know, giving notice or, you know, you know, before you're actually moving out of a job. So I also feel like it's culture and it's law that honestly, I can't even picture some of the things that have happened in the tech companies happening in Norway. I cannot even picture it. Um, it just the people wouldn't do it and the people wouldn't take it because they're also very empowered here you know I've, i i won't i won't mention where but i've been at places where the the way people found out that they were let go is their cell phone stopped working or they come back to their desk after lunch and their laptop's been collected by um the security or the equipment people right it's like I mean, it's a bit like dumping someone by text or ending a relationship. But I mean, no, no one would ever would, no would ever find that acceptable. Maybe some people do it, but it's certainly not 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 a nice way to sort of tell someone a relationship. Thing. The, the work relationship is again, it's not a personal relationship; it's a, it's a business relationship. Sure. But all the same, you just people deserve a common courtesy of having a conversation. I think everyone understands. Most same, you know, reasonable people understand that businesses go through difficult times, or they have to make difficult decisions. And again, back to Steve's point about context. Having that sort of context, and because because again, I, I know with John isn't about mental health, but it kind of has an impact on 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 people's you know kind of perception of themselves, you know their own sure. self worth. If they don't have any kind of rationale for well, why why have I been let go? And have, was I really so bad that they removed my laptop? Did I do something really really wrong? Did I do gross yeah. misconduct? What what happened there? So the story, yeah, I and, I, and I'm sure the media is exaggerating to a degree some of what's going on, but but yeah, unfortunately. 
that cultural difference to me is is I was working for a US company before um, Scott Logic, and unfortunately, they're laying people off, and some yeah. of the stories you know aren't great because in the US it seems you can just sort of hire and hire and fire, and that is the probably the biggest yeah. difference between the European and American culture. It definitely, it definitely is a more um, pro business owner environment, mm-hmm. right? Culturally, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I I think the other thing it's like you know what what does it say to the people who are remaining. What does it say about how much the company respects them when they escort people out with security and, you know, cold in their little boxes, right? Remember the, 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 the Lehman Brothers collapse and the, all the stream of people coming out of the building with their little boxes with their stuff in it, right? Escorted out of a building by security. I'm a threat. You know, you need to escort me out. Security has to lead me out of the building. It's crazy, right? But it's routine here. Um, and it's yeah. also routine to do it, you know, on... Uh, um, on a certain day of the week, right? Depending on what your philosophy is, right? You you do it on a Monday so that people don't have all weekend. If they get fired on a Friday, they don't have all weekend to stew about it and then show up and you know cause some violent action or something like that, right? So there's all of this interesting thing, but like, what does it say about what the company thinks about you when all of this goes into play? I just think it's yeah. it's kind of fascinating, and I do think it is cultural, right? I, I think there is a difference. Definitely. I mean, I consulted to a US organization who very proudly showed me that they had a room set up for this, that mm-hmm. people came in one door and out the whilst other. they were in the room, somebody was cleaning the desk out and they were, and it's like the lack of humanity that just went into the fact you designed a special room yeah. with this specifically in mind. And I worry about, you know, obviously there's the impact on the individual who's just lost their job. But what that's to your point, Chris, what that is going to say to the to the people who are sitting left in that business, mm. that if this, you know, I, I think how you treat people who leave your organization, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, says a lot about the level of care you provide to the people who are within your organization. Right. Um, and I think it behoves leaders to think very carefully about not just how to handle that process, but to be very introspective about how they got in that position in the first place. And again, to ensuring that everyone understands what's being done to avoid it. Nobody goes into business to fire people. Sometimes economic conditions, unanticipated um, uh, outcomes require a business to to reshape itself to remain competitive. Um, But... I have certainly been through processes where I have seen good colleagues exited. I've understood the context as to what happened as to why that was necessary. I've actually been through processes where I think actually that was done with dignity and care. I have also been through, even in those circumstances where I've sat there and said, but what is somebody doing to think about how we'd never have to do this again? Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, it's interesting, right? Um, you, you call, you call the, the covenant that people promise I wrote a book called The People Problem because to me, it's it's at the core, right? It, it's, it goes to the planning that we talked about, right? It's bad planning. Why, did we, why were we here in the first place? Why did we have to work overtime? We didn't scope this thing right. In a broader business sense, it's we didn't really structure the organization right to meet the demand in the market and all of those things. We didn't build enough flexibility into our ability to adapt to changing market conditions. It's bad planning, right? Mm-hmm. All around, if you think about it, bad management and bad planning. Well, honestly, I just applaud and appreciate what you all are doing. I feel like 
this is the conversation that needs to be had. This is the example that needs to be out there. This is the future of consulting. Um, and it's, as you were saying, and Chris, you were even alluding to it right now with the people problem and, and you know the lack of planning and things. If you look at this and said, as your words, sustainable, right? How do we have a sustainable way for people to work, which leads to retention and which leads to, you know, everybody having the life they want and doing the appropriate planning. Like That's the way to go. That's how we need to be. Um, and I actually feel like this is so significant that, you know, and we've done it on the show, right? We've put up the memes, we've laughed about the industrial parks and all these hours, but that's not right. And we're glorifying it and we're passing it down to the people because it happened to us. So it's a new day, new leadership, new way of consulting. So just hats off to, to leading that way. Um, I wanted to, to jump on something you said, uh, Chris, about um, business owners, right? So I think you said, you know, in the US, it favors business owners. I think we need to rethink what business ownership means and shared ownership for me, not in a communist sort of sense right don't get me wrong call me a massive lefty here chris but yeah. um getting people to buy in and get a sense of ownership requires you know the psychological safety i was talking about earlier it requires trust it requires people to build relationships that aren't then just all of a sudden disconnected when someone is escorted out of the building so for me it's this sort of if you want people to really care about about the commitments they're making to clients and and to each other you need to you know, build that kind of trust and respect and, and people need to have that shared sense of shared ownership. So I think that, that for me is a culture that needs to be rethought. And, and that's what people are looking for. I think people are looking for that kind of voice, as, as Steve was mentioning earlier, uh, and that kind of you know, involvement uh, and, and being listened to. Um, but I mean, look, I, I, as Steve said, we're, we're not perfect, but it's been, it's, it's been really interesting for me the last four or five months that Scholar just kind of look at how consulting can be different it doesn't have to be as cutthroat it, it doesn't have to be as sharky or as political it can actually we can actually find ways of balancing people community and profit and kind of commercial interests so um no i i appreciate you chris kind of making the space for stuff this conversation yeah um <clears throat> and before we give steve the final comment here just a quick thought for me i'm uh, you know uh, you guys might know steve might not know i'm a history major right that's the only degree i have um and I'm currently, last year I spent most of the year reading Churchill, right? This year I'm spending a lot of time on Teddy Roosevelt. And Roosevelt broke up the trusts, the, the monopolies, right? And so in, in reading through that, right, there's this, this whole theme of labor versus capital, right? Of the worker versus the boss, right? All of this stuff. And I think it's a similar theme, but I think we're looking at it now in these, in these times differently, which is, the folks that are working for the company are not really working for the company, right? They are working for themselves in advancing the company and, and, and having all, all of those ideals um, come together in a covenant. I really like that word um, as part of this, right? I think that makes sense because you, as a business owner, you don't want people working for you that don't want to be there. And as a, as a worker, you don't want to work for a company that doesn't value you, right? And so it seems like there would be a natural alignment of labor and capital, right, to come up with an agreement of what are the expectations uh, of, of the business and uh, from, the, from the workers and of the workers from the business. I think it's fantastic. So, Steve, thank you for joining us. I'll give you the last word here. Sure. Look, I'll keep it short. You know, the big thing for me, and, um, and I heard it, I think, in some of the things you were talking about, Wendy, is 
why are things the way they are? Why do we see businesses behave the way they behave? And um, there's a growing desire to see businesses mature uh, and grow and learn and be more concerned with the humans that inhabit them that it is less the organization but the combination of individuals that create them and so one of the things and again i've talked earlier about this is one of the things i spend a lot of my time thinking about is releasing all the leadership potential of the generation that's coming behind me i will not be doing this job forever at some point somebody else will be the ceo of scott logic and at some point there'll be a whole bunch of new people and what i want to encourage is them to explore new models of leadership not to look at the patterns that they have experienced in the past and assume that is how they must be to be successful. Um, I think that is the biggest lesson, which is to take, and we're consultants, right? We apply critical thinking, we, we solve problems. Let's tr bring that to how we want our businesses to be as much as how much we can contribute to the businesses that, that we consult. In. Fantastic, thank you guys, I appreciate it. Um, Steve, thanks for joining. Don't be too hard on Oliver. Um, in his performance review. Um, we <laughs> we like him. You should retain him. Um, <laughs> I like him too. It's all right. He's good. We'll, uh, we'll make sure. Um, you've written a number of articles on the Scott Logic blog. Um, there's one I think is really good, the new normal for leadership. We'll put the links up on, on that because I think that really captures uh, a lot of a lot of this stuff. Um, so Oliver, thank you. Wendy, thank you. Steve, thank you. Uh, I'm Chris Lockhart, everybody. Thank you very much. And we'll see everyone next time. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I'm Chris Lockhart, joined today by Oliver Cronk, Wendy Keene, and special guest, Steve Forshaw. Oh, shit, I fucked that up. Forshaw. My mistake. I mean, I literally answer anything. The names I get called. Forshaw yeah. <laughs> is not. Um, okay. All right, here we go. Yeah, well, I have to say, uh, credit. Don't try to be too nice to your boss on this one. Well, well I, I was also going to have a little dig at you for. Uh, I'm going to nominate your 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 um, smoothest plug of your book there. <laughs> we have our awards at the end of the year because we see we typically have awards for the for the cast, and that's going definitely going to be a candidate for the smoothest plug plug of your book on the podcast. So well done for that. But uh, going back to a more serious note.